had a vision of an owl. And an owl started visiting our house at night. You know what they do? In case you didn't know. And, uh, and the Lord uh, started talking to me about the fact that the owl is wise, the owl is nocturnal, sees the darkness, and knows who's who. <laughs> and the Lord said, the mascot of this season is not the eagle, but it's the owl, because I'm going to take people, I'm going to take the prophetic gift that's on this house, and I'm going to make it nocturnal. I'm going to make it live in darkness. I'm going to send you to the darkest places of the planet and you're going to bring the kingdom of God into places no one ever get into. And you're going to teach people the wisdom of God and they're going to know who's who in the darkness. And you're going to look at people who look evil and you're going to find gold in them because the, because the owl knows who's who because the owl can see through the darkness. Many of you may recognize the voice you just heard. That was Chris Vallotton. And from what I can gather, this was at a school of worship gathering at Bethel Church in 2016. And the reason why I deduced that, and I could be wrong in that because I cannot find the original clip, I found it from another reliable source, is I found on his blog, uh, Prophetic Changes in the Air was the title of this particular post, and it was dated December 1st, 2016. Chris stated this, I recently preached at the School of Worship at Bethel, and as I was getting my things together to walk up to the podium, God stopped me and began to speak. He told me to prophesy over the students before preaching. When I asked him what the word was, he responded, The epoch season has changed, and it requires a new prophetic mascot. The prophetic mascot for this hour is no longer the eagle, it's the owl. The owl is nocturnal, so it is designed to live in the night, to see through the darkness, and to know who's who. It's the symbol of wisdom, and it feasts on rats and snakes. That word did not apply only to the school of worship students, but to every believer, according to Chris Vallotton. These are his words. It's a word for the current epoch we're stepping into as a church. So the Lord has called for a changing of the guard from the eagle to the owl, and we must align ourselves with change in order to see what God is wanting to do in the world. He goes on to talk about the characteristics of the owl so that we can fully partner with what God is wanting to do in this season. He says an owl's eyes pierce through the darkness. It can go to the darkest places and still see clearly. This clarity of vision is natural for the owl, so he doesn't have to force it or make it happen. Owls represent wisdom, he says. So what does this mean for us, Chris says? It's time for the body of Christ to carry the kingdom into the darkest places of society. He's giving us new eyes to see through darkness, cloudiness, and fogginess, so that we can see the gold in people clearly. Precious souls who are wrapped up in sin are just waiting to be recovered and set free. This is how we will see cultures transformed by the kingdom, by going into dark places and bringing the wisdom we carry as believers. In this clip that I shared, he goes on later to talk about peacocks and peacock feathers and that that displays the glory of the Lord. And this was a revelation that God gave him. And I've heard other people talk about the fact that he's practicing omen reading. And I would agree with that. I want to focus on something else, though, that's equally as important to understand from what Chris Vallotton is doing. Because when you read this blog post and you see what he's saying here, he's saying a prophetic word with authority. And we could easily deduce from that, it has the same weight as scripture. 
because he's stating that the Lord is telling him this, and it's a direction for the church. It's not just for one individual, but it's for the whole body. This is a mandated word, if you will, to borrow from the language in this movement. It's a mandated word for the entire body of Christ, which means it carries authority. And this brings us to a gamut of questions that we ask, but it brings us back to the understanding of sola scriptura, and it brings us back to the understanding of what true prophetic ministry is, what scripture has to say about it. And it also should help us to understand how God speaks is always authoritative. So we're going to talk about this today, and I'm going to actually share some information with you more about this particular thing that he said regarding owls that you may or may not be aware of that dates back further than 2016 when he said this word. And I'm also going to share some other examples with you from a couple other people to kind of help us to understand when people in this movement speak about the prophetic word that they may or may not be comprehending when God speaks, it is authoritative and that they are putting words on par with scripture and that God's word is to always be obeyed. And so when we give the option to obey or not obey, uh, thus saith the Lord or what the, what God is saying in this season or this hour, that's a problem. And I hope that you see that problem as well. Let's dive into that and also take a look at what sola scriptura means. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Sick Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Sick Scribe. One of my favorite passages of Scripture to read that was such a blessing to me coming out of the New Apostolic Reformation prophetic movement that I was affiliated with in that aspect came from 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. And again, there were many, but this is one that really sticks with me and has for quite some time. Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." Matthew Henry had this to say in his commentary based on these passages of Scripture. He said, These things are not idle tales or a vain thing, but of undoubted truth and vast concern. The gospel is not a cunningly devised fable. The apostles' preaching was a making of these things known. The preaching of the gospel is a making known the power of Christ. The coming of Christ also is made known by the preaching of the gospel. This coming of Christ, the gospel, is very plain and circumstantial in setting forth. But there is a second coming, which is likewise mentioned. He will come to judge the world in righteousness by the everlasting gospel. During our blessed Savior's abode here on earth, he sometimes manifested himself to be God, and particularly to our apostle and to the two sons of Zebedee, who were eyewitnesses of his divine majesty when he was transfigured before them. Besides the visible glory, there was an audible voice from heaven. What a gracious declaration was made. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The best voice that ever came from heaven to earth. God is well pleased with Christ." 
He received honor and glory from God the Father. This is the person whom God delights to honor. This voice is from heaven, called here the excellent glory. This voice was heard, and that so as to be understood by Peter, James, and John. They not only heard a sound, but they understood the sense. God opens the ears and understandings of his people to receive what they are concerned to know. Blessed are those who not only hear, but understand, who believe the truth and feel the power of the voice from heaven. Matthew Henry goes on to say these things about verses 19 through 21, which are the ones that I really wanted to focus in on because Peter talks about a personal experience that he had when he saw the transfiguration on the mountain of Christ. It was a a pulling back, if you will, of his flesh to reveal his glory that um, that was veiled in human flesh because he was truly God and truly man. But then when we go on to read in verse 19 in 2 Peter 1, Peter makes it very clear. We have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And he goes on to tell about prophecy does not come from someone's own interpretation, but it was it was spoken by men from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's see what Matthew Henry has to say about this. And I want to lay this groundwork for you today and read a couple other things for you so we can also from here go into Sola Scriptura and understand the importance of that. And then we'll look at some examples of modern day prophecy in the prophetic movement or New Apostolic Reformation, because I think it's valid to look at this and have some things and to offer up some things for consideration. Matthew Henry goes on to say, In these words, the apostle lays down another argument to prove the truth and reality of the gospel, for this is foretold by the prophets of the Old Testament, who spoke and wrote according to the direction of the Spirit of God. The description that is given of the scriptures of the Old Testament, they are called a more sure word of prophecy. It is a prophetical declaration of the power and coming of our Savior. But the New Testament is a history of that whereof the Old Testament is a prophecy. Read the Old Testament as a prophecy of Christ, and with diligence and thankfulness, use the new as the best exposition of the old. How firm and sure should our faith be, who have such a firm and sure word to rest upon? All the prophecies of the Old Testament are more sure and pertain to us who have the history of the accomplishment of them. Matthew Henry goes on to say, The encouragement the apostle gives us to search the scriptures, we do well if we take heed to them, apply our minds to understand the sense and our hearts to believe the truth of this sure word. If we thus apply ourselves to the word of God, we certainly do well in all respects. What is pleasing to God and profitable to ourselves, they must use the scripture as a light which God hath sent into the world to dispel that darkness which is upon the face of the whole earth. They must acknowledge their own darkness. Every man in the world is naturally without that knowledge which is necessary in order to attain eternal life. If ever men are made wise to salvation, it is by the shining of the word of God into their hearts. Natural notions of God are not sufficient for fallen man. When the light of the scripture is darted into the dark understanding by the Holy Spirit of God, then the spiritual day dawns and the day star arises in that soul. This enlightening of a dark, benighted mind is like the daybreak that spreads and diffuses itself through the whole soul till it makes perfect day. It is a growing knowledge. All who do truth come to this light, while evildoers keep at a distance from it. Henry says the apostle lays down one thing as previously necessary. And that is the knowing that all prophecy is of divine origin. No scripture prophecy is a private interpretation, but the revelation of the mind of God. This was the difference between the prophets of the Lord and the false prophets. The prophets of the Lord did not speak nor do anything of their own mind. 
The prophets and penmen of the scripture spoke and wrote what was the mind of God. Every private man ought to search it and come to understand the sense and meaning thereof. This important truth of the divine origin of the scriptures is to be known and owned by all who will give heed to the sure word of prophecy. As a man not barely believes, but knows assuredly that that very person is his particular friend in whom he sees all the distinguishing marks and characters of his friend, so the Christian knows that book to be the word of God in which he sees all the proper marks and characters of a divinely inspired book. The divinity of the scriptures must be known and acknowledged in the first place before men can give good heed to them. And he finishes with saying, The apostle, verse 21, tells us how the Old Testament came to be compiled. They were holy men of God who were employed about that book, which we receive as the word of God. All the penmen of the scriptures were holy men of God. These holy men were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost is the supreme agent. The holy men are but instruments. The Holy Ghost inspired and dictated to them what they were to deliver of the mind of God. He effectually engaged them to speak what he had put into their mouths. Mix faith, therefore, with what you find in the scriptures. Esteem and reverence your Bible as a book written by holy men, inspired, influenced, and assisted by the Holy Spirit. This is just one of many commentaries that you can look at in order to understand a particular passage of scripture. But as we look at this passage of scripture and we ponder on sola scriptura, as we just came out of... Uh, October 31st, which was Reformation Day, for those of us aware of what happened on that day, October 31st, it was the day that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, and it kicked off the Protestant Reformation. And the Protestant Reformation was born out of the question of authority. I have this little book I want to read a little bit to you as well. I'm pulling from a few different sources today to help encourage you and to edify you and to also encourage you as well to look at other sources when you're doing biblical study, not just rely on your own understanding, um, but to really dig in and to get an idea and get, get a better grip on what the Bible is saying. Because it's very important that we understand what prophecy means and that we acknowledge the error that's currently going on in the modern prophetic movement and be willing to both ask questions and entertain those questions and to ultimately go back to our authority, which is Scripture. But this book that I have, it talks about the five solas. And under Sola Scriptura, it talks about that the Protestant Reformation was born out of a question of authority. What should a Christian do when the church declares a doctrine that contradicts biblical teaching as dogma, a point of theology that all Christians must believe? If the Pope creates another indulgence, which was an ecclesial pronouncement, the purchasing of which grants time off from the temporary punishments of purgatory, should a believer obtain one? Upon what authority do Christians base their opinions when it comes to godly issues of faith and piety? And so one of the solas was born from this Reformation. It was sola scriptura. We know that God is known through his word and that his word is a reflection of his character. And because it is impossible for God to lie, evangelicals have long asserted that God's word also cannot lie. Its declarations are infallible and inerrant. This agrees with the Old Testament assertion that God's word is perfect, sure, right, pure, and true. According to Psalm 19 verses 7 through 9, it is why the psalmist can say that God's word is a light and lamp for his life and why he puts his hope in it, as Psalm 119.105 says. We know that God's word is imperishable. We know it remains forever. It echoes the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is why in his priestly prayer, Jesus asks that the Father set apart his disciples from the world. And we know John 17.17 17 says when Jesus prayed, he said, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And we also know in 2 Timothy 3.16 that Paul reminded Timothy that God's word is theonoustos. It's God breathed. It is breathed out by God. And this word saves us. It testifies of Christ. 
We know that the prophet Isaiah declares that God's word does everything it is sent by God to do. That's in Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. And that personal verse has also been encouraging for me as a believer, having been in a movement for almost two decades and understanding that I was under a lot of false teaching, minimally hearing about the gospel, hearing little bits of it here and there, but really focusing on other things of more val- that were deemed as more valuable and minimizing the preaching of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I think about Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, I realized that God's word did not return null and void. Even when I sat in a service, hearing God's word being manipulated and twisted to mean something it didn't mean, such as John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. It's a salvation passage. Even though it was not used that way at the moment, God's word does not return null and void. A sheep had their ears perked up which was me. So when I think about the word of God and I think about it being the more sure word, I take that very seriously. And I hope that you do as well, because it's a serious matter. And it's something that we should stand up for. And we need to understand a few things that I think were really helpful reading this book that talks about the five solas. It says what scripture communicates is not the ephemeral realities of yesteryear. It is none other than God's authoritative mandate to fall on humanity about how to get right with him. And the Bible does not merely contain the words of God, but rather every word of scripture is God's word. So when we sum up these things, we cannot understand the gospel without the word of God. We cannot know Jesus without the word of God. We cannot become like Jesus without the word of God. We cannot be sanctified and purified without the word of God. We cannot be saved without the word of God. We cannot grow in holiness without the word of God. We cannot love our fellow believers without the word of God. We cannot be equipped for every good work without the word of God. And we have no hope without the word of God. I think this is all very helpful to understand when we're looking at the meaning of sola scriptura and that the the value that the word of God should have for a believer. Martin Luther even said a simple layman armed with scripture is greater than the mightiest pope without it, because in his time, the pope believed that they had equal authoritative value in their word, spoken word as scripture did. This was one of the things that was addressed, among other things, mainly the indulgences was the, the issue at hand, but also Luther pointing out that Scripture is the ultimate authority. And we know that Scripture is not one of many equal avenues of divine revelation from God. There are people that will actually claim that they have dreams or personal revelations and that even these experiences are on par, whether they mean to say that or not, or they'll say that it's not. But when they say it's from God, then that's on par with Scripture, that these are equal divine revelations from God telling us what to believe and how to live. And scripture then becomes merely the primary way for God to re- reveal himself to the believer, not the only way. Now, we know God's not limited in how he can communicate to us. He can do whatever he wants. He's God. But we do know that scripture tells us that there are boundaries established and that we know that the gospel is how people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And having this idea that there are other things such as dreams and visions and personal revelations where we can say, well, God told me this, the Holy Spirit told me this, the Lord Jesus walked through my wall and told me this, it creates a view that tends to bring in the belief that other forms of revelation are equally authoritative to Scripture and that they should be regularly expected in the believer's life because if you don't have them, then you may not know God as deeply as you think that you do if you're not having these experiences. And there can be a downplaying of Scripture because, you know, Scripture is 2,000 years old, and so we need something fresh. We need something that's new, that God is speaking new things. That's how we get new wineskins because you have to receive the new. 
So this is where the prophetic ministry today comes into play. And before I read that, I want to read one more thing to you about Sola Scriptura. I found an article on Ligonier Ministries dated August 27th of last year, written by John MacArthur, and it's called, What Does Sola Scriptura Mean? MacArthur says the Reformation principle of sola scriptura has to do with the sufficiency of scripture as our supreme authority in all spiritual matters. Sola scriptura simply means that all truth necessary for our salvation and spiritual life is taught either explicitly or implicitly in scripture. It is not a claim that all truth of every kind is found in scripture. The most ardent defender of sola scriptura will concede, for example, that scripture has little or nothing to say about DNA structures, microbiology, the rules of Chinese grammar, or rocket science. This or that scientific truth, for example, may or may not be actually true, whether or not it can be supported by Scripture. But Scripture is a more sure word, standing above all other truth in its authority and certainty. It is more sure, according to the Apostle Peter, than the data we gather firsthand through our senses. Therefore, Scripture is the highest and supreme authority on any matter on which it speaks. But there are many important questions on which Scripture is silent. Sola Scriptura makes no claim to the contrary. Nor does Sola Scriptura claim that everything Jesus or the apostles ever taught is preserved in Scripture. It only means that everything necessary, everything binding on our consciences, and everything God requires of us is given to us in Scripture. Furthermore, we are forbidden to add or take away from Scripture. To add to it is to lay on people a burden that God himself does not intend for them to bear. Scripture is therefore the perfect and only standard of spiritual truth, revealing infallibly all that we must believe in order to be saved and all that we must do in order to glorify God. That no more, no less is what sola scriptura means. And he goes on to quote the Westminster Confession of Faith, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence, may be deduced from Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. Having laid that groundwork, I wanted to switch gears drastically and talk about the modern prophetic movement. This is something I am passionate in talking about, in addition to other areas such as deliverance ministry and such that I came out of, because I see that there is an assault on sola scriptura. That would be my stance on it. When we claim that we are hearing from God and that God is saying something, but then we want to say, well, there's not, there's not really false prophets today necessarily, or people that claim to be false prophets like myself that was in this movement. Yeah, you, you know, you can miss it because we're under the dispensation of grace and it's not the same as it was in the Old Testament. And then there'll be this straw man that's put up really of saying, well, you know, are you wanting to stone people today because there's false prophets or false prophecy? I think something that we need to recognize here is that when you are saying something that God didn't say, even in the Old Testament, and you were stoned for it, Jeremiah and Ezekiel and other uh, prophets and other men of God in the Old Testament warned and even spoke of the false prophets and how they prophesied from their own heart, that they, they prophesied and told of their dreams. And even in the New Testament, we see that 26 of the 27 books of the Bible warn against false prophecy or false teaching that's going to come in. And false teaching is not the same as prophecy because teachers are not claiming that God gave them divine revelation of something. A prophet is claiming that God spoke through them. They recognize themselves as a mouthpiece for God. And that's what we were told in this movement. That's what I was told. And that's what I taught. A prophet is a mouthpiece for God. And so if you are going to claim that God spoke something through you and it doesn't come to pass, 
or you can't verify that it's true, then that's a problem. And that's called being a false prophet. And if you're also going to say something that's already found in scripture, which if I'm not mistaken, I think John Owen is the one that's credited for the quote of saying, if you say something that's already in scripture, there's not really any need for it. And I would encourage you to go look up that quote. There's even debates on who said that, but that's not scripture. That's simply a quote from John Owen. If you say something that's already in scripture, then there's no need for it. And there's no need for additional extra biblical revelation to tell us about how to act in a certain way when the scripture, the word of God should be ministered and proclaimed, the gospel first and foremost, and also leading people to understand who are believers, how they are to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so as someone who was in this movement, it really frustrates me and upsets me when I hear people that are dodging these bullets And they're saying these things such as, well, you know, we can prophesy, we need to, you know, brother, sister, we need to draw closer to God and hear God for ourselves. Or, you know, that person's not a false prophet because they missed it. You don't, I mean, what do you want to do, stone them? Though the penalty has changed, the standard has not changed. The standard is still high when it comes to prophecy. And I want to share a couple examples with you. And I want to elaborate on Chris Valentin's because I did some researching and looking back into that to try to help give some more backstory to that. And to help you understand that it wasn't just about the owl. It was about also incorporating that into the belief of the apostolic movement, the change from denominationalism to the apostolic from an old message that he did back in 2010 that was related. And that's when it first came out when he said this about the owl. And he elaborates on that and shares some personal accounts with that. But first, I wanted to share these things with you and then offer some things for consideration after we look at everything else. One of the examples I came across the other day was actually on YouTube. And I saw this and took a screenshot of it. And I wanted to read it to you. This was shared by Daniel Adams. And Daniel Adams had this to say about The prophetic, when a prophet releases a word of warning to the body of Christ about something the enemy has planned, remember the prophet is not saying something bad is going to happen. They are unctioning the body of Christ to pray to thwart the enemy's plan to cause destruction. Prophets warn also of coming things from the enemy, which in turn should move the heart of God's people to pray to get God to help change the course of things. I see a lot of people ready to stone a prophet because the worst case scenario they warned of didn't come to pass. How about the prayers of the saints changed things? And one of the things that struck me when I read this state, these statements by Daniel Adams was, again, the authority. When a prophet releases a word of warning to the body of Christ, this is not talking about just bringing some word of encouragement to an individual. This is authoritative. So I want you to remember that when people start trying to dodge these bullets or throw up a smoke screen to negate the fact that there are indeed false prophets even today. And when someone claims to hear the voice of God for themselves and they put thus saith the Lord on it or the Holy Spirit said, then they are deeming it with authority from God himself. And God never speaks without authority. And when you are claiming authority, you could draw the conclusion that you are making your words on par with scripture because they carry authority. So to say that God said something is not a matter to take lightly. And it's not something that should be thrown around as if it doesn't matter. People that are drawing attention to this error should not immediately be labeled with such terms as religious spirit, critical, Pharisee, and such, when they are wanting to hold a high standard of scripture, a high view of scripture in their life, and in the church in order to honor God as we should. I hope that you value the word of God as a believer in Christ 
as much as we are supposed to. Some people will make the false deduction and they'll belittle the Word of God saying, well, it's not Father, Son, and Holy Bible, as I've talked about in another episode. No, but you have to understand it is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but He's also left us His Word in order to equip us. If you want to make light of that Word, but make much of prophecies that are released on Christian media outlets and make little of the written Word of God that gives us the instruction that we need for living a godly life and training us up in righteousness, then we have a serious problem that we need to deal with on our hands. There was one other thing I wanted to mention. There's a man who claims to be a prophet that is now overseeing Rick Joyner's church. And I thought this would be another uh, good example to just throw out there for consideration. But his name is Chris Rice. And Chris Rice made a prophecy in the church in at the beginning of the year about 2022 a lot of it was political i don't want to play a lot of that but i do want to focus in on what something that he said in particular and he told me a couple of things to me personally and i say this in the fear of god this has affected me all day he said a couple of things to me personally and he said right before he left tell the lord's people that their prayers are not in vain so you take that and you do with it what you will but it's off of my heart now. I'm asking you just to pray into it. I'm not telling you you have to accept it, but I'm telling you it happened. Prior to him saying this, I know it's a very short clip. If you want to go check it out, you can, uh, just to hear what all he says. But he talks, again, a lot about a lot of political things, a lot of things that could easily have been in the news at that time that he could have speculated about. Talks about the climate changing, about China, and all these other things on the current world news and, and such. But I wanted to mention this, and this is what struck me when I heard this. At the very end, when he says all this, and, he, and when he says all of the things prophetically that he's stating, God told him that Jesus walked into his room and told him all these things. And before Jesus leaves, uh, the Lord tells him to encourage uh, his people that their prayers are prayers are not in vain. After he sets it up and says, well, God told me all this. The Lord told me all this and revealed this to me. He then ends it the way he does. Do you know of any prophets in scripture Old or New Testament that did such a thing. I mean, even Agabus spoke like an Old Testament prophet in the book of Acts when he came to Paul, when he wrapped his Paul's belt around his arms and prophesied over him what would happen to him if he went to Jerusalem. This is not the way prophets of God speak. They don't say, well, God said this and the Lord said this and he revealed this. But you just take it however you want. If you want to take it or leave it, just pray into it. If you don't want to do anything with it, that's fine. This is what I'm talking about, y'all. This is someone who is trying to make a, an out to get out of a prophetic word. So if it happens, fine. If it doesn't happen, fine. If you don't want to listen to it, it's okay. But And also, too, they'll rest it upon people, of fa- fallible human beings, in order for God to do something, as if God is dependent on us, which he does give us the privilege and the opportunity as his children to come to him, to petition him in prayer, to ask for things and to trust him regardless of what's going on. He gives us that privilege as being co-heirs with Christ, as being adopted into the family of God. And it's a wonderful thing that we should not take for granted. But again, I go back to this. When you say God is speaking and then you say things like this, and he's not the only one, this is just an example. But when you say God spoke to me and then you say, well, you can just take it or leave it. That's kind of like what Daniel Adams did a few weeks ago. We looked at the Red October prophecy. He did something similar. And we hear this language and it's almost 
leaving um, a way of escape to not be accountable for it or to say, well, you know, if it did happen, it's because you all didn't pray hard enough. It's because you all didn't do enough. You didn't listen to the prophet. Instead of that person taking responsibility and saying, no, I actually did not hear from God and this was a false prophecy and I heard from my own vain imagination or it was the desires of my own heart like Jeremiah 23 talks about when the the prophets that were not sent by God but they ran anyway, that they were prophesying from their own heart, the desires of their own heart. And so these are things that we need to pay attention to. You and I both need to pay attention to this. When someone is claiming that they're hearing from God, You need to understand, and I need to understand first and foremost, that is authoritative. It is never unauthoritative. God speaking is never unauthoritative. It's not him saying something and then saying, oh, well, you can listen or not listen, because you're not going to find any example in scripture of God speaking that way through prophets and then saying, well, you know, you don't have to listen. It's just God talking, you know. And I'm just a fallible person. I'm still practicing hearing the voice of God. Even the Old Testament prophets didn't do that. And I want you to take note of that. The Holy Spirit spoke through those prophets, and you can find this in the New Testament passages. We've already seen this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 21. It says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's also fascinating when you read 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, concerning this salvation, which is the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look." So we can see the Spirit of Christ was in the prophets when they were prophesying. Now we know that in the New Covenant, the Holy Spirit comes to abide in believers. And it's it's different than it was in the Old Testament in that capacity. So we, we see that the Holy Spirit came upon individuals in the Old Testament and empowered them for the work of service that God wanted them to do. Well, now in the New Testament, we even see in Acts that when people are filled with the Spirit, for example, what that word means, it's an empowerment for a work of service. And that they were given the abilities to do these things because they were born again believers and they were used by God to do the things that God wanted done. But even in Romans chapter one, Paul even mentions that the gospel was presented in the Old Testament. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have uh, received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So we can see, even in in these few passages, I've quoted to you that God's spirit was ministering in the Old Testament through fallible men. And the excuse to use today, well, prophecy can be fallible because we're fallible and it's a new dispensation. Grace, grace, brother, sister, grace, grace. That doesn't fly because God takes it seriously when someone speaks on his behalf and they're saying things that he never said and it does not align with scripture. And in, in go to a step further, it contradicts the word of God when that takes place. And scripture is sufficient. It's sufficient. And it's the gospel where the power is. 
It, the gospel has the power because it is testifying of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is prophesying, my friend. That's prophesying because you're proclaiming, you're forthtelling of Christ. Consider those things, and I'll offer up some more things for consideration at the end, but I want to go back to Chris Vallotton's clip that I played a few minutes ago. Now, I'm not going to replay that, but I do want to play some clips for you to help give you more of an understanding, because he says in this meeting, and then he wrote on his blog in 2016, that he presented this prophetic word. And this is a word, by the way, again, I'm just going to remind you again, he said it's an epoch of the new season that's for the whole body of Christ. So this is an authoritative word. There is no way around this. When you're saying that this is for the whole church, this is an authoritative word. It's not just an encouraging word. This is an authoritative word. That means that it's on par with scripture. There's no way around that. I'm sorry. There's no way around that. There's no game of semantics that you can play to to state that. When you are making those claims, it's authoritative. So I want to play some of the clips that I found and show you the breadcrumbs that lead back to 2016 when he said this and why people take issue with this, not only for the omen reading part of it, because he did read an omen. He saw something and he began to meditate on it. And then I believe he ascribed his own thoughts and said they were God's. And he began to take the personal characteristics of an owl, which by the way, new age people do this. Occult People in the occult do this. You can look up videos. You can look up articles. They talk about the owl. You can find them talking about how they have exceptional vision and they believe that uh, taps into the third eye and to a chakra and and how they are predators and how they have are nocturnal with the exception of a couple of owls that are not nocturnal and all these different aspects of them that they will use these to talk about this. Well, he used an owl to predict the current season that, were, that we were coming into, an observer of the seasons. The King James talks about this in Deuteronomy chapter 18. When you look at the King James, it says an observer of the times or an enchanter. And when you're using an animal such as an owl, and then he goes on to talk about the peacock in this, in this current clip, you are using an object in order to read prophetic, you're saying prophetically into something. But I'm going to play some clips for you that also shows you, even from 2010, some of the things that the Valentin was teaching about this when he taught about the owl and that it had to do with the, the change from denominationalism to the apostolic. And it also had to do with pulling the gold out of people and ministering to the culture and watching the, the types of words that you use. So that way you're not just condemning people with the law because that's what the, uh, the equation is. They, he equated it to, well, when you tell people you're a Christian, then, you know, people immediately think, well, you're just about the law. It's all about me breaking the law. Again, you're not going to, well, I'm not even going to go there. You're going to hear this as we go. So let's go ahead and play the first clip. This first clip was from a video I came across where he was giving a personal prophecy. Uh, It was uploaded 13 years ago. So I don't know the timestamp on this particular prophetic word that he was giving over an individual, a woman in the um, in the congregation, but he mentions the owl, and that's why I wanted to play it. Uh, he spoke to Cyrus, and he said, um, "He said I'm going to give you hidden treasures in secret places of darkness, and uh, I feel like the Lord's going to give you hidden treasures in secret places of darkness." I've been prophesying this for a little while, probably about a year and a half, and uh, for some of you that aren't really particularly um, trained in the prophetic, like we often see the eagle as a sign of prophetic ministry, and um, some of you are aware of 
aware of that or it doesn't really matter. But um, I've been seeing the owl. I've been seeing the owl. You know, the 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 whole cult uses the owl as their prophetic sign. And, and first of all, I think it's important that we get our stuff back. I want you to pay attention to what he says right here. Because this comes straight out of the Physics of Heaven book that they wrote. And I want you to understand again that his use of the owl and what he's getting ready to say. Just ponder on it. Yes. Because God created the owl just as much as he created the eagle. And, he, and it was you know, his idea for crystals. He even had a crystal sea. And it was his idea for rainbows. He's the one who made a covenant with them. And I just, I just have this passion that we get our stuff back. I want my rainbows back. Anyway, but I, I, I think that I think that the real sign of the prophetic movement in this hour that we're in is going from the eagle to the owl, because the owl can see in the night. I'm so prophesying over you. The owl can see in the night. The owl sees the, in the night, you know, and he knows who's who. And I think that the Lord's going to give you real insight into people who are in darkness. That you know, into the in the whole, into the uh, into acting in the Hollywood scene, into Nashville, and the Lord's going to send you in there as a little prophetess, young prophetess, to um, to find treasure. The Rahabs who are stuck in in their sin, but the Lord says, I'm going to release them from their sin. I'm going to release them by calling out the the greatness that I placed in them. So I think that you're going to dance people into deliverance. (laughs) He goes on for just a little bit longer to prophesy to this woman. At any rate, that's one example of him referring to the owl, the owl prophecy, and that he puts weight on it, and he believes that we should take this stuff back from the occult, which we're never told to do that in Scripture. As far as when we're dealing with the gospel of Jesus Christ, his concern is for the salvation of souls. And so when we consider that, this it's a, it gives us a little bit more insight when he said what he said in 2016, but it's still concerning. Now, the next clip I want to play for you, it's actually um, from the full sermon that he gave in 2010 when he's talking about prophets who see in the night. This is about the 42-minute mark. I'm going to play a few minutes of this, but this is right before he starts launching into the section. The next section will discuss and talk about when he mentions about the prophecy about the owl. And again, I want you to remember, this was not a fresh word he spoke in 2016. This was something that came about when he said that we are in the hour of the owl, the mascot changing, which who knew that we needed a mascot? I thought we were supposed to be proclaiming Christ. We're supposed to be conforming to the image of Christ. But some of the things you will not hear in this sermon is that he focuses a lot on Daniel and that we are to be like Daniel and what Daniel did in Scripture. And I would just encourage you, we're not supposed to be like Daniel. But this is another part of the error, unfortunately, that you'll see in in this movement, particularly with 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 what Bethel's talking about. And I've talked about the prophetic lab in the past. You can check out those episodes as well. There's two parts to those episodes. They focus a lot on uh, the book of Daniel, the lady, her name's Lindsay, that created the uh, prophetic lab. And it's tied in with Bethel because she was a BSSM student. 
And, and um, she's also tied in with the spiritual intelligence aspect because that's what the prophetic lab does. It provides spiritual intelligence. At least that's what they say. But at any rate, we're going to listen to about the 42-minute mark before he launches in and talks about the owl more. But I want you to hear how this is tied in with it. It's very important that you understand that this is all going back to the apostolic and being affiliated with the apostolic movement. You're not even getting this. He said, you're my apostles, and here's your mission, that you would make earth like heaven. And in Matthew 28, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. He didn't say make disciples in all nations. We know that's part of the call. But the great commission is to make disciples of all nations. Why? Because they're an, abast- an apostle is a cultural transformer. You can plant 500 churches, but if those churches don't help, if they don't transform the culture they're planted in, they're not apostolic. This is why I'm saying it ties in with the owl and such. You're going to hear this later because the whole transforming culture, the Great Commission, uh, in in the New Apostolic Reformation belief, they believe that apostles must be restored and established as a governing authority in order for the Great Commission to go forth. Otherwise, the Great Commission stalls out. They demean pastors, essentially, even though they say they don't. They demean the pastors and the shepherds that are taking care of the flock of God as was instructed because Paul established overseers and deacons to watch over the church and to make sure that it was, it was taken care of properly. He didn't, Paul didn't assign a new apostle to replace him. And we've talked about these in other episodes. Um, if that, if that interests you, you can check out those. They're in my playlist um, on my podcast, but I want you to understand he's setting this up because the owl is going to be integral for cultural change in the world, in society. Saying they're not good, I'm simply saying they're not apostolic. Okay, you got to get this. The Lord said the modern world has never seen the true power of an apostle because they have been immersed in a pastorate. What do pastors do? Gather. But what do apostles do? They train, equip, and deploy. Now, let's go to Ezekiel's river. John, the pool of Bethesda, is a great metaphor, a picture, if you will, of a pastorate because people come to the pool to get healed. But look at Ezekiel's river. It measures a thousand cubits, and it's the water to his ankles. Two thousand to his knees. Three thousand to his waist. Four thousand, a river no one can afford. What's the point? The further you get from the sanctuary, the deeper the water gets. Wait, you got to get this. What's happening in Ezekiel's river? Where's the water coming from? The sanctuary. But the further you get from the sanctuary, the deeper the water is. What's the point? The greatest miracles are happening the further you get from the sanctuary. In other words, the goal of an apostleship is not to gather, but to train, equip, and send. We're going from coming to church to becoming the church. Are you with me? But in order for that to happen, we need to move from the governmental structure that gathers people and measures success by how many butts we put on a seat on Sunday morning. We need to, are you with me? In other words, we have goals that actually are opposed to our call. We measure success by how many people we're gathering and our calls to transform cities. Our goal, our call is to train, equip, and deploy, but, our, but, but we measure success by how many people we gather. That is incongruent. And I just told you that the cities that have the greatest Christian church-going population have the worst social statistics. What does that tell you? That gathering people and transforming cities are not synonymous. Are you, 
Are you getting this at all? I'm saying that we are in for a huge epic season shift because we have our apostles stuck in pastorates. There are no highways to, the, to their destinies. That's why God said the modern world has never seen the true power of an apostle because apostles are in a government that's meant to gather, not train, equip, and deploy. Our whole governmental system needs to shift. So do you believe that that the power of the apostle has never been seen? That seems to negate scripture. I mean, you have the apostles that are ministering through scripture. That the people, we even now, 2,000 years later, are under the teaching of the apostles through scripture. We are under the teaching of those that in the Old Testament, the, one, the, the historical accounts and the things that were ministered under the Old Covenant. We are understanding the types and shadows of Christ in the Old Covenant that are revealed in the New Testament. And he's going to say that the power of the apostles has not been revealed or seen. Just let that sink in while you keep listening. It's this greatest shift as we're trying to create in Iraq and Afghanistan. In Iraq and Afghanistan, they have a dictatorship and we're trying to get a democracy. And I'm telling you that the church, I'm talking about the real church, is going through a dramatic shift. It's a shift in government. It's not a shift from a dictatorship to, to a democracy. It's a shift from a pastorate to an apostleship. And until we make that shift, there are no sidewalks to our destiny. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's enough from that section. So you can get the gist. I mean, this is tied in and it may seem, some people may say, well, why are you bringing that up? You're going to hear just, I mean, it's all tied together. He is going to segue into this a little bit later. This is about 46 minutes in where I stopped. So he's going to start segueing in about 52 minutes. Not long after that, he starts talking about the owl. Now, I want to set this up for you a little bit and give you give you some understanding to this. He talks about the owl prophecy, and then he's going to go on to share, to um, talk about the, the prophecy of the owl, and then he's going to elaborate on personal story. So I'll talk about that in just a minute, but let's see if we can hear what he says about the owl first. I'm flying home from Spain. Two years ago, I'm about half asleep. You know, that's point between sleep and wake, like the twilight zone, right? That's where the, the Lord gives me the most stuff. You too? Because your brain's like almost off, but not all the way. And he says, I want you to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And he said, you've done the dove thing well, but you don't know anything about serpents. He says, I want you to study the ways of serpents so you can emulate their ways and undermine their purposes. And then about a few months later, well, no, this is about... Actually, about eight months later, I'm coming to the pulpit and I'm going to share at School of Worship. And so as I come to the pulpit, I have this thing I'm going to share on worship and stuff. And the Lord says, I'm probably 10, 10 feet from the pulpit. And the Lord says, before you teach, I want you to prophesy. I said, all right. To who? He said, to everybody. I said, all right. What's the word? He said, when you get to the pulpit, I'll tell you. So I get to the pulpit. And I say, here I am. You know, Lord, send me. What's the word? He said, he said, the mascot, the prophetic mascot for this season is not the eagle. But it's the owl. It's not the eagle, but it's the owl. So I say that. I said the prophetic mascot for this season is not the eagle. You know, you see eagles as the prophetic sign, uh, the sign of the prophetic ministry. The Lord said, it's not the eagle, it's the owl. So I prophesied that. I said, because the owl lives in the darkness, and the owl is wise, and the owl knows who's who. Remember when I mentioned about uh, prophetic words contradicting scripture? I love what Peter has to say to those of the dispersion who are believers in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. 
He encourages believers, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Isn't that wonderful? That's a wonderful passage to be aware of. I mean, as believers, we are encouraged by this very passage of scripture. And we're encouraged by the gospel of John when John talks about John the Baptist was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light in John 1. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So Jesus is the light. He is the true light. He is the one that cleanses from sin. We are not to walk in darkness. We're not called to be owls. We're called to be conformed again to the image of Christ. We are to walk in the light because he has brought us to the light by the saving faith in him and the atonement of our sins. And so believers are brought into reconciliation of fellowship with God through faith in Christ for the penalty of our sins. And so this all negates what he's talking about. Another passage we can look to is 1 John 1, 7, when John encourages believers, if, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin, or it cleanses us from all sin. So again, this is making the distinction between darkness, which is sin and being separated from God, and walking in the light, which is what we are to do as believers. So this word that he's giving is not kosher with what scripture is talking about. And it's not really testifying again of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. The owl knows who's who. See, the owl can look through the darkness and see a Rahab and know it's the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ. See, and I think, so, okay, so I, let me just finish that part of the story. So I shared that. And as I'm sharing that, Jen, Jennifer Johnson runs up and she, she says, I got to say this, I got to say this. She grabs the mic and she said, today... She said, a young man is coming to worship school, and on the way to worship school, an owl was on the road, sitting in the road, and wouldn't move. He said he pulled his car right up to the owl, and the owl sat there. So he got out of his car, and he put his hand out, and the owl got up on his shoulder, and he brought it to school that day. Okay, now, the next day, we fly to L.A. My son, Jason, and I fly to L.A. He's getting ready to elaborate on this, and... He's going to justify his word of the owl with his personal interaction with a rapper that was featured on VH1 in some of the real life shows called Ahmad Givens. That was his name. He passed away in 2015 due to colon cancer. He was in his 30s. It was very sad to read about that. But when I was listening to this, I noticed a few things that I'll point out after we listen. But I want you to hear what happens with the interaction with Ahmad. And this goes back, just to sum this up, uh, Chris had written a book called Purity way back in the early 2000s. And he wanted to address the issue of the moral issue among society with people giving over to lust and, and sexual sin and such. And so he wrote that book. Well, it just so happened that his attorney was also the attorney of Ahmad Givens. Chris gave his book to his attorney. His attorney read the book, and he, according to Chris, it wrecked him. And so he gave the book to Ahmad. The attorney gave the book, the, gave the book to Ahmad. Ahmad was uh, very much apparently, according to Chris, very influenced by this book. There's even a Vimeo video that I came across that had uh, Ahmad endorsing the book at the time he had Ahmad endorse the book. Ahmad wanted the the book changed. 
He had said he had had an encounter with God, and that was the reason why I think uh, that he ended up meeting Ahmad, was he had had some sort of encounter with God, and his attorney set up the meeting. And whatever that means, we don't, we have no idea. Chris ends up uh, prophesying to him. We're going to listen to that in just a minute. But after Ahmad had read this book, he wanted the, the cover of it changed. It was white. He wanted it changed to black to make it more edgy. And instead of the book being called Purity, the, he wanted the title changed to Sexual Revolution. So it was changed to that, and Ahmad actually endorsed the back of the book. You can find this book on eBay. You can find it in thrift books. But the book has now changed to another title that you may recognize called Moral Revolution. So it is no longer called Sexual Revolution, and the the cover looks completely different. And Chris is going to use their encounter to, again, justify his word about owls. So let's have a listen. I need to meet with this man. I want to get this on VH1. But I can't do it with the white cover. I need a black cover. I need it to be edgy. So we changed the cover to black and put sexual revolution on it and a mod endorses the back i know a bunch of christians have written me like why do you have a mod endorsing the back the reason i have a mod endorsing the back is because we're actually trying to reach people that have problems it's a it's a whole new strategy wise as serpents innocent as doves I'm meeting with Ahmad. We, so Jason and I fly down to meet with Ahmad because you can't just put a book on VH1. It doesn't work like that. There's got to be attorneys involved and all stuff. And, and by the way, the, they end up editing the book out. So the book never is, ends up on VH1. So that's a, long, that's a long story. But we're sitting with Ahmad. I've never met him before. He's, you know, he's got long dreads. He's got piercings and stuff and chains and black leather. You know, I'm just giving you an idea. This is Ahmad. And he's sitting across from me, him, his manager, and our attorney, and Jason and I. And we're talking. This is the day after the owl thing, right? The day after the owl thing. So we start talking, and we're talking, we're talking about business and how to get the book on there and what that's going to cost and so on and so forth. Because VH1 charges, you know, it's just the whole deal. And I am looking at Ahmad, and I cannot. Sometimes when the Lord speaks to me prophetically, it comes in a picture that's superimposed over people. Or a word that's superimposed. And I see over Ahmad, prophet to the nations. Now, I know Ahmad's had some kind of encounter. I don't know if he's a Christian. I don't know what he is. He's had some kind of encounter with God. That's all I know. So I finally, about five minutes into the meeting, I go, hey, time out, time out. I tell our attorney, stop. You're killing me. Can't do this anymore. Broxall, what's going on? I said, I said, Ahmad, I have this word for you. I don't know if you believe in prophetic words. He's like, yeah, yeah, I do. You know, I, I believe, I know something about prophetic. I said, well, I, I have this word over you and I saw you when you were little when you were in your mother's womb, you almost died from some kind of disease. And now tears start flowing down his eyes. And he tells me that his mother, uh, when, he, when, she, when uh, she was about to give birth, eight months, uh, she's pregnant eight months, she ends up with this disease. It's really rare. It's, it's, like, it's only like three, four, five hundred people a year get it. It's like a really rare disease. And she almost lost him. It was a, he's a miracle baby. And my word to him is that the enemy tried to take you out in your mother's womb I don't know what happened to you, but God saved you. Now he's crying. And I go, and God says you're called to be a prophet to the nations, and he's been giving you a sign. Now, I have no idea what the sign is, but I said, and God's been giving you a sign. As soon as I say God's been giving you a sign, now he's, you know, he's just totally being rocked. And he goes, dude, you aren't going to believe this. Now, I have not said anything about an owl, right? Nothing. That's all I've said to him. It's maybe a little bit more than that. He goes, you're not going to believe this. Three months ago, Steve and I, Steve's his manager, we're, we're in this city, and we're doing this concert, and we're, and we're walking down the street towards the, wherever he's doing the concert, and he goes, a white owl, 
a white owl flies right down and almost hits us and flies off, right? I haven't said anything about an owl. And then he says, and then he says, we're, he said, a month later, we're driving down the road in another city to do a concert. And another white owl flies down and almost hits my windshield and takes off. He goes, then he said, last month, he said, I'm walking down a road and a white owl comes and flies another white owl in another city, three cities, three white owls comes and flies around me. So he goes, I don't know what it means, but I know that God is calling me. I have a question. How does he know what, which God he's talking about? How does Chris know which God he's talking about? And is this how God calls people? What is the ultimate authority in how we come to Christ? It is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This man was omen reading again. This, he was v- viewing this as a sign. And he didn't know what it was, and Chris couldn't explain it to him either, it appears. But this was the sign that, that was given to him. And I want you to notice, Chris never in this account says that he presented the gospel to him. It is always in the prophetic when you're dealing with what Bethel teaches and what the prophetic, in, in this instance, it is always never giving a negative word. They are told never to give a negative word. That's what I was told not to do um, through this training and teaching, among other things, that you never give mates, dates, or children. Uh, you don't do things like that. You'll notice that the gospel is missing from this. There's such a focus on giving a personal word to let people know how special they are to God. There's nothing to draw them to the gospel of Jesus Christ and their need for the Savior. There's nothing mentioned about that. That is missing. This is not the gospel that's being presented. This is just a word that he's feeling. And this is no different than what a psychic would do. Psychics do this. But the gospel is nowhere to be found in this account. I give him the word and I go, it's a white owl because you're called to purity. And it's an owl because you're called to darkness. And I start prophesying. And then I tell him what happened the day before. Now, you got to get this. About four months after this, I'm telling a mod story. I'm telling the, the owl story in Australia, actually in New Zealand. And I have my iPhone in my pocket. And while I'm, I get to the part about Ahmad and I start telling just what I shared with you, I start telling the owl story. And while I'm telling the owl story, my phone vibrates. I forgot to turn it off. My phone vibrates. I have a text message. So I take my phone and it's, you know, it, uh, an iPhone keeps vibrating until uh, you stop it. So I take my phone and I set it on the pulpit and I'm going to turn it off and I'm trying to be discreet about it, right? I turn the phone over to turn it off and I notice... As I'm preaching, I look down, and it's Ahmad. Ahmad te- just texts me while I'm telling his story. So I'm kind of like, so I look down at the phone, and it says this. He texts me this message. Hey, I just saw my fourth owl just flew over me right now. While I'm telling the Ahmad story, another owl flies over his head. What's the point? The point is, is that God has called us to be a river that leaves the sanctuary It goes into the deepest, darkest places of the planet. And like Daniel, that we learn how to minister to people who we don't agree with, but that we love. We already have the solution and the instruction in how to minister to people. It's called the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the propitiation for our sins and the call to repent and believe on him and have faith in him to save you from the wrath of God. That is our instruction. Our instruction is not to go find the gold in people and it's to give them a vague prophetic word that helps them feel better about themselves and lulls them into hell. 
That's not what we are told to do. The gospel was not presented to this man, and if it was, Chris failed to mention that. And as a minister of the gospel, all of us as believers are supposed to be ministers of the gospel. That is our first call. And furthermore, we're not called to be like Daniel. As I've said already, we're called to be conformed to the image of Christ, and that can only happen through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and a person who is regenerated. That is the only way that can happen. And to tell someone that they're good and they're awesome and to pull the gold out of them, it denies the fact their need for a Savior and their need to be cleansed from unrighteousness and to be judged and condemned. They stand condemned already, according to John 3, when they don't believe in God and they don't believe in Christ. That is, that is absent, and we cannot ignore that. That is not to be ignored. If people want to prophesy, they need to be proclaiming Christ and Him crucified, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the instruction, that is the command that we are given to proclaim the truth of His Word and to proclaim Christ until He comes. If you want to know what your destiny is as a believer, that is what you are called to do. You are called to proclaim Christ. You are called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are called to glorify God in word and deed in all that you do. To submit yourself to God, to submit to his word, and to be led by the Spirit. Continue to go through, the, through your walk with the Lord through sanctification. Now that you have been justified before God, that you have positionally been sanctified, now you are walking this road of progressive sanctification. And when you get to be with God forever and eternity, you will be glorified. I mean, Chris goes on in this, in this message to talk about an account that he had with two men that were homosexuals on an airplane. He got separated from his wife. He tried to get one of them to move so he could sit with his wife, and they declined to do that. So he begins to um, prophesy to them in the midst of their conversation on this eight-hour flight. You can listen to this message. He says, I'd never tell people I'm a Christian, and I don't use the name of God. But rather, he, in this account, he states, he tells one of them, I want to say something to you. I feel like my spirit guide, um, I have a spirit guide that is, he's the spirit of truth, and he is telling me things about you. This is, these are his words, not mine. So he is using worldly, um, new age type talk to make it more comfortable for the person rather than presenting the gospel to them. And, and he's compromising rather than presenting the truth of the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, resting in sola scriptura, resting in the power of the word of God, resting in the power of God unto salvation through scripture, through the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves people according to Romans 1, 16, 17. He relies on this, the same tactics that a psychic would use is no different. Again, you can, uh, I, like I said, you can listen to this account on your own. I will, I'll post the link of this in the, in the description for this episode. He talks about this experience. And my question is, how is this any different? I mean, he's telling them a spirit guide is, is ministering to them and never once mentions the gospel. And I just find this sad. I find it extremely sad. I'm not jealous of this. I'm not envious of this. I find it extremely sad. And it's, and it's disconcerting at the fact that, that this, is what is this is what is elevated as prophecy. And it's authoritative. Remember, he's taking it all back to this word about the owl. As he parts ways with these two men that he met on the airplane, he had this to say. When we get off the plane, they both give me a holy hug in San Francisco. <laughs> oh, tears coming down their eyes. What happened? They found out that God, see, it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. 
But the thing is, they didn't repent. I'm not sure what his definition of repentance is. Again, no gospel was mentioned in this account. I know I didn't play it, but you can listen to it. But there's no mention of the gospel. So I'm not sure what he means by repentance in this account. See, what, what happened? See, the owl can see through the darkness. Can see past homosexuality because home, see, there's no such thing as a homosexual. There's only people that have carry that name as an alias because God didn't make homosexuals. I refuse to relate to someone according to their an alias name that God did not give them. But they say I'm a Buddhist. I'm like you. You may say you're a Buddhist, but God doesn't call you a Buddhist. God doesn't call you a Mason. God doesn't call you a Mormon. God calls you a son, a daughter of God. I will not relate to people according to an alias name that God did not give them. And I want to stop right there with that one. I do have one more clip to circle back around to the denominational and apostolic aspect of this that he talked about earlier before he launched into the, the owl. But again, this is part of the social transformation that's being used in this prophetic word. So I wanted to touch on that and to, and to talk about that today because it was of concern in addition to the omen reading. I think it, it, it even greater the fact that the gospel is not being presented, that this is being presented and said that it's prophecy. This is not prophecy. This is stroking someone's ego sometimes. This is catering to someone's desi- own personal desires and thoughts and really not uh, testifying of God when an, a psychic or someone else can do this, uh, especially when you're not even attributing it to God, that you're using verbiage that's attributed to other worldly ways or cultic ways or new age ways, and you're not pointing back to the truth of the word of God out of not wanting to offend people, out of not wanting to be harsh, not wanting to come across um, critical, but the gospel is offensive. The true gospel is offensive, and it's not because we're trying to get it to be, but when you're dealing with, when you're in, when you're engaging with someone in conversation that is not saved and they don't understand their need for a savior because they don't view their sin as being something that's against God and that they need to be punished for it. And contrary to what people like Chris and others would believe, most people don't view what they do as sin or something that deserves punishment when they don't know God. There's no battle with them as far as being convicted apart from the Holy Spirit to know that what they're doing is against God and that it deserves punishment. But people need to hear the gospel, and the gospel is going to offend because the truth of the gospel, it, it is going to uh, shed a light in the darkness. And so I, I hope that you understand the concern about this coming out of teachings like Bethel and other areas that would teach such things like this, and it be void of the gospel and essentially void of power. It's denying the, the power of God. It's trying to show a form of godliness, but denying the power of God in a sense. So I want to play one last clip for you so you can understand, again, this circles back to getting away from denominationalism and going into the apostolic calling, because Chris believes that if you belong to a denomination, you don't really have any right to try to love on people like this and to try to minister to them. See, the problem is, is that we've grown up as denomination. We've grown up in denominationalism. In denominationalism, we gather when we agree, and we divide when we disagree. We're called Protestants. The word comes from the word protester. We didn't protest social justice. We protested, we protested interpretation of the scripture. And we've been doing it ever since. So when we don't agree with someone, we, can't, we don't have permission to be their friend. And we're moving out of Protestantism into apostleships. Where we gather because we have the same father, not because we agree doctrinally. And once we do that, then a spirit of revelation can come on us and we can 
See, I don't have permission as a denomination, as a Protestant, I don't have permission to be to have a relationship with a homosexual unless I have an agenda to convert them. And you don't think that they know I'm trying to convert them? Come on. That's like stepping on a car lot and not thinking the car car salesman is trying to convert you, trying to sell you a car. And then when, when you step on a car lot and he goes, oh, I love your jeans. Awesome. You could be dead ugly. And he's like, oh, you're looking so good today. Everybody knows the game. They're playing a game. It's a game. You don't think that people who don't know God understand the game? They know what you're doing. They know what I'm doing. They are so tired of manipulation. What would happen if you just actually love people because you do? But we show that we love people by sharing the truth of the gospel with them. I just find it, again, concerning that he's saying getting away from Protestantism to uh, apostleship. And, and making a claim of the, the Protestant Reformation had to do with the interpretation of Scripture. That was not the main issue with that. It was the authority of Scripture. And granted, there are secondary and tertiary issues that we can have with fellow believers, but we need to come back and, and be united in the core fundamental beliefs about Scripture, about the doctrine of the Trinity, about the gospel of Jesus Christ, above all things, and who Jesus was, and make sure that that's right. Because if we don't have Jesus right, we have a false gospel. And that's the ultimate concern that I have with all of this. I believe that things like this that take place are actually an assault on Scripture alone being the sole authority and sufficient in the life of a believer and helping us to know that we have everything in it that we need to be equipped for every good work for Christ and to glorify God. I believe that this does damage when we have people on one side like Chris Reed and other people and Daniel Adams and many others that are making claims of, well, you know, God spoke this to me or the Holy Spirit spoke this to me and this is a warning or this is what's going to take place, but you can take it or leave it. And then you have on the another spectrum of this belief of, well, you can be uh, wrong in prophecy and you're still okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm trying to um, hear the voice of God for myself and I'm just not going to get it right. And I messed up the interpretation of it. Again, we don't see that in scripture that the, the prophets ministered without issue because they were being led by God. And when we make these kind of claims and we entertain these kind of claims from people, then we are entertaining fallibility with God and God is not fallible. And when he speaks, it is authoritative. It's not take it or leave it. It's obey it. There will be punishment for those that do not want to follow God or there will be discipline because God even disciplines his own children. So I hope that you understand the issues with that, why some of us bring up these issues, such as with Bethel, that they are presenting another gospel, for example, that they are presenting aberrant practices that are an assault and are, are um, offensive to the truth of the word of God. And it is out of great concern for people that these things are expressed and are stated, and it is not to um, bash people or to mock or to poke fun. This is a legitimate genuine concern for people that they are being led astray and they're being presented another gospel. And prophecy, my friend, of encouraging someone with the word or thinking that you can give them some private revelation and, and just do that alone and that, that that will bring them to repentance and you have not presented the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and why they need a savior and why their sin is offensive to God and it is their and their rebellion is is going to require punishment. 
and justice from a just God because punishment can sin cannot go unpunished because he's a holy and just God, then you have not presented the gospel to them when you deny them the good news. The prophecy that you give them, this private prophetic word that people are calling this, that's an encouraging word or it's ministering or calling the gold out of them, that is not good news. That is not good news to a dead sinner, dead in their sin, dead in their trespasses, that needs the Savior, that needs Christ to cleanse them from all unrighteousness. And the gospel is the answer. The gospel is what we are to proclaim. And we need to stand on sola scriptura and realize that we have a relationship with God while claiming that. That does not mean that we have dead religion. It does not mean that we don't know God. We need to be bold and standing on that and saying, this is the word of God. This is what he's left us. This is what we stand upon. We believe when we read this, that God is speaking to us. This is God breathed. As 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us, and we will not back off of it and we are not going to lower the standard of what prophecy is for the sake of comfort for other people or to be liked by other people or to go with the flow like everybody else is going. We are going to go through the narrow gate because that's where Jesus is. We are going to follow him because he is our shepherd. He is our high priest. He is our prophet. He is our king and he is our Lord and savior. He is our master and we are going to follow after him. And we will not listen to other voices that are going to deny and negate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are going to test everything against this holy word because we believe it's from God. So I want to encourage you in that today. Do not be afraid to stand up for the truth, no matter who it is, including any of your favorite social media influencers or whoever it is including myself. If you hear someone, including myself, that's that's saying something that negates scripture or is compromising and it's making this slippery slope, then you need to get in the word and make sure that you understand the word of God, why you believe what it says. You need to be a student of the word of God and stand firm in the word of God and don't back down no matter what names you get called or who says what about you or even someone with massive followings has something to say and they reverse course. We do not come off the word of God. Amen and amen. I hope that this has been encouraging to you. If you don't mind, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave me a five-star review. If you want to reach out to me by email, you can contact me at dawn at lovesickscribe.com. And until next week, my friend, I look forward to being with you here again. Be blessed today by the truth of God's word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.